Welcome to Inside the Chamber. I'm Nikki Anderson, the President and CEO of the Naperville Area Chamber of Commerce. The world of startups has become more and more common, but with all the startups, what is the actual success rate? How can one determine if their idea or leadership is viable? How is success defined and determined? Today, I'm joined by experts that will discuss the intriguing world of entrepreneurship. Inside the Chamber is brought to you by presenting sponsor, Naperville Bank and Trust. Thank you all so much for joining me uh, today. This is a topic that's really near and dear to my heart. I'd like to think of myself as an entrepreneur, but I'm going to find out more today um, if I really am or what, what the composition of, uh, of an entrepreneur looks like. Um, and I couldn't think of three better people to, to join me today. So I'm just going to start with a general question. When we hear the term entrepreneur, what, is, what does that stir up? What is, what, what is the, the thought when you hear the term entrepreneur? Somebody who's risk ready, somebody who's ready to take on the risk. And the, the kind of risk we talk about is not necessarily the risk financial, it's the risk of managing and navigating the ambiguity, the uncertainty, the precarity of being an entrepreneur. So it's somebody who's willing to do that psychologically, emotionally, and yes, financially. I, I like to say it's someone that's comfortable being uncomfortable. Oh, perfect. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and someone that, um, doesn't feel that their next thing or project that they're working on is going to define their career or their life. Mm, I like that. Okay. And for me, it's always been someone who's got a lot of confidence with a lot of passion. Mm. Because those two have to go together, in, in my mind. Yes. Uh, the, the confidence level that you need to walk away, sometimes from a lucrative position to start a business, or even if you were laid off and you start a business, it's, uh, it, it's the passion that keeps you going, and that passion is what has you around 10, 20, 30 years later. Sure. So what do you think is the biggest misnomer about entrepreneurs? I, I personally feel that um, when somebody hears an entre the term entrepreneur, they feel the average person is going to sit here and say, well, that's got to be someone that's very successful. And actually, if you look at many, I analogize it to Michael Jordan. How many shots did he miss to make those game-winning shots? And it's the same thing. And these entrepreneurs are not afraid to fail and have often failed many times um, before they've been successful. I think that there's also this connotation that automatically, because you're an entrepreneur, you are wealthy, you're successful. And no one does get it. No one does get that when you start a business from scratch, you, you know, it, it can be five, six, seven years before you're making any money. Because if you're building it right and you're putting a lot of the capital back into the business, you're the last person to get paid. Yeah. And you've got to be comfortable with being the last person <clears throat> to be paid. Right. Right. Not, not everybody is. Yeah. And the biggest misunderstanding is the entrepreneur is his own boss. Mm. She is not necessarily in control of herself and her own business. Mm. It's her customer. It's her investor. It's the market fluctuation. It's the valuation that is placed on the venture itself. So the people who say, I want to become an entrepreneur so I can become my own boss, be independent, get over yourselves. 
right? I'm my own boss, to which I say, no, you're not. Not so fast. (laughs) So let's talk about, um, you know, everybody, especially when when we work with the high schools, everybody wants to be an entrepreneur so they can be their own boss, right? Let's talk about the success and failure of entrepreneurs. And and I I think I want to make sure that there's clarity with failure because I, even when I owned a business, I failed, but I started again and figured it out, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I'm talking about the entrepreneur that perhaps gives up or does fail and doesn't start again versus the entrepreneur who is willing to take that financial risk and wait it out because they know that around the corner mm-hmm. that that moment's going to come. So let's talk a little bit about the success and failure of, of entrepreneurs. So my business is a little different than Mark's. Uh, I rely on human capital exclusively. Uh, and when you rely on human capital uh, and the business of valuing companies and helping people with ownership transitions, so the people that I hire are all, or many are, MBAs and CPAs. So you're dealing with a different group of people, and when you're dealing with people that are that sophisticated, you have to be able to not only earn their respect quickly, but also understand the needs of someone at that level. Mm. Versus some of our clients where you go in and you talk to some of their employees that some might be in the office, some might be in the warehouse, you do have to approach that a little bit differently. So for me, it's always been, how do we handle the human capital component? Mm. Because I think that's been critical for success. Mm. Failure uh, is when you can't handle that human capital issue and you burn through people and you have to ask yourself the question, is it them or is it me? Mm. You know, and so you learn, you learn to ask that question of yourself early on at, because it's all about building a business and growing it. But building on a point that John made just a couple minutes ago, and that is that um, as an entrepreneur, entrepreneurs aren't always the best business operators, right? Mm-hmm. So sure. what that basically means is, uh, you know, they can come in and they may have this incredible vision and they may understand and be able to put the patterns together that create the opportunity in the market. But at the same time, managing the, the people, mm-hmm. uh, managing the uh, logistics of the business is not necessarily a strength for all entrepreneurs. And so those that where it's not a strength, they've got to surround themselves with some people that can do that. You bet. Yeah. But it's also managing the entrepreneur herself, <coughs> uh, the, the, uh, the internal yeah. process that they go through. One of the things that happens in entrepreneurship education that's really uh, difficult for all of us to accept is we're training people to get into the entrepreneurial community because that's where new jobs are created. New ventures create new jobs. We have to understand that. It's not the larger companies that are creating new jobs. It's the new ventures. So we need entrepreneurs. But we don't warn them that as they graduate from university and they go into, or or high school, and they go right into entrepreneurship, we don't warn them they're getting into something called the precariat which is a part of our our, uh, social structure, our economic structure, where they are agreeing without knowing it that they're not going to have a salary, they're not going to have benefits, they're not going to have all those those things that yeah. come with yeah. a job opening that they get through career builders. So, so to the social ethics of this uh, require that we prepare people psychologically and emotionally to manage what goes on inside of them when they can't pay their bills, when they have to ask for loans, when they have to run their credit cards up, all these things that happen. And a lot of people say, well, they can't handle their business. It's not that. They can't handle 
all of it. Right. And so how do you surround the entrepreneur with a kind of psychological, emotional, fam fam family support that they need? And that's yeah. what I think a lot of us, and Nikki in particular, uh, we, we understand these from a sensitivity standpoint and also from the ethics. Yeah, that's, <laughs> you, you put that really, really well. That makes a lot of sense. And I, yeah. The only thing I would challenge a little bit is that I don't think new job creation is just going to come from the small startups and small entities because markets are changing now so fast. Things are happening and it's only accelerating that companies that exist today, larger companies, mm -hmm. have to reinvent themselves constantly. And so there's an element of entrepreneurial, entrepreneurialism that's required in these larger companies today that's never been required in the past. Right, and that's intrapreneurism. You know, so it's, exactly. it's uh, moving inside and teaching people who are working for large yeah. companies to think entrepreneurially, and those are intrapreneurs. But the thing that's interesting is a lot of the large companies have laid off so many people over so many years, so that the question the economists say is, are those new jobs? And the answer is no, those are replacement jobs. Right. So, so the notion that an entrepreneur can take out of nothing and create something it's, an, it's, it's almost miraculous. It's, it's kind of a meta, metaphysical thing. And so the new job comes from the new idea, from the new business. And if you think of General Motors and other giant companies, the, the numbers of hundreds of thousands of jobs over a long period of time that they've laid off, yeah. let's say they add 25,000 jobs tomorrow because of artificial intelligence or robotics or something of that nature. Those aren't new jobs. Those are replacement jobs. That's true. For, uh, so that's, that's where it gets so nuanced. Yeah, right. and, new, and especially new types. Going back to your original question yeah. about high schools yeah. and people uh, in high school really thinking about entrepreneurship, uh, I, I think the thing that's been critical, you know, I look back, uh, I'll be 23, the company will be 23 years old in April. So I look back and today, we have a board of directors and we've had an advisory board. But one of the key things for some young people wanting to get into business along the way is find themselves a mentor. Mm -hmm. Someone who they respect that has done it before that is willing to take them under their wing even on a very part-time basis. But just to have a sounding board to have someone who you know they can, they can rely on for just the, the little things that come up like what do I do if I have this human resource issue and I've only got four employees? Mm -hmm. What do I do? Where do I go? Mm -hmm. And to have that mentor yeah. is really critical when you get started. I agree. I think mentors are invaluable. I want to touch on something that you mentioned earlier, Mark, and that is um, not every entrepreneur is great at business, mm -hmm. which got me to thinking about innovation. So mm -hmm. what's the difference between someone who's innovative versus someone who's an entrepreneur? So, so I think we've all been kind of touching on that. Mm -hmm. um, to me, to be an entrepreneur, you've got to be innovative. Yes. Okay? Mm -hmm. But uh, people that are innovative are not necessarily cut out to be an entrepreneur um, because it's a function of risk. Uh, we're doing, our company's doing a lot of things right now in innovation and, and incubators and, and trying to identify new problems for the future. And in doing that, the people that are in there that are gonna really focus her, have this unique ability to see these patterns and see these, these needs and talk to consumers and find out really what's going on and, and then start throwing all that together in a way that they can be innovative with their thinking. 
Now, are they cut out to be an entrepreneur and go and invest and risk all their monies? That's, again, back mm -hmm. to the psychological mm -hmm. aspect, mm -hmm. in my opinion. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I, I, when, you, when you think about innovation, I, I think it's mandated. Every one of our clients has, has got to go through the self-reflection of either I become innovative or maybe I need to sell my business. Mm -hmm. Because how else are they going to compete? We, too, have to look at innovation. The way we do business today is different than the way we did business oh. five or 10 years ago. Certainly 23 years ago. You know, 23 years ago, we were dialing up on AOL. <laughs> you know, people forget about that, but it, you know, it, it really has moved very quickly. And it, it's, it's a go for us, again, going back to human capital, today for <clears> us, <throat> I don't care where the individuals are physically located anymore. Used to be that in the investment banking world and, and, and you'd have to have somebody in a major city to, to work there. Um, it's not that way anymore. It's critical that we find the best individual, not necessarily the geography, mm. that they need to be in Dallas or they need to be in mm -hmm. Miami or they need to be somewhere. We can move them there very quickly, especially from here. We just need the right people. Innovativeness is so mission critical, venture critical for the entrepreneur, and uh, it's iterative. It just changes every day. And so the investor who said, oh, wait, this is different than what you were doing last week, and the entrepreneur said, yes, but there's a reason and it, who can give that reason. And if the reason is nothing more than I thought of it differently, I thought of my market differently, I was out at a sales call, and the feedback that I got from that sales process made me think differently about what my, uh, my customers' needs are. And so to innovate uh, through what they're learning by being entrepreneurs is powerful. And that's what we work on at Enclave for Entrepreneurs. So we're saying, while you're out there, learn, 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 listen, and listen deeply so that you can innovate based on what you're learning in this primary research. Great, and we're gonna continue this amazing conversation right after this. Naperville Bank & Trust has the expertise, knowledge, and experience to help you reach your business goals. We would prefer to work with somebody like Naperville Bank & Trust. They're engaged in the community. They're able to help meet our financial needs. They understand us as a business. They provide all the tools that you would ask uh, that we as a growing business need of a bank. Most importantly to me, it's a, a great personal relationship we have with Tom and John and, and our bankers. It was the best thing we could have done in banking. And banking can be very cold. What the bank brings to us is, is that warm feeling when you come into the bank and people say, hi, Greg. It's about being part of the community again, about being a name again, about having credit for who your business is instead of just being, well, instead of just being a number. Naperville Bank and Trust, bring it home. Shop downtown Naperville this spring with over a hundred shops from national favorites to one-of-a-kind boutiques, plus over 50 restaurants and health and beauty options too. Downtown Naperville is the premier shopping destination in the western suburbs. And don't forget about downtown Naperville gift cards. They make a perfect gift for every occasion. Come shop, dine, stay, and have fun in downtown Naperville. Stay up to date on what's happening in our neighborhoods and schools at City Hall and all across town with NCTV 17 News Update. Email directly to your inbox once a day, Monday through Friday, 
This two minute video not only tells you the latest news, but shows it to you all at your fingertips. And that's what's happening right here in Naperville. And the best part, it's free. So sign up today at nctv17.com slash subscribe. So what I'd really love to talk about is um, the, the discussion around a long-term business um, entrepreneur versus a startup. And I have a hunch that you guys might have some thoughts on that. No. <laughs> Just a couple. Just a two. So, I mean, um, we're a family business. Gold Eagle's a family business. We've been around for 86 years. And um, as Ken was saying earlier, the amount of change that's been happening in the market um, in the last few years is amazing versus the last 20 or 30 years. And so as a result of that, companies today, and certainly Gold Eagle, are really challenging our people and challenging ourselves to empower our people and make them much more entrepreneurial. Think like a business owner. Think about ideas and how we can do things better, not only in, uh, as a company, but also in their own particular area. And it, it, it requires a culture shift. And that culture shift is really important. And once it gets started, it's really exciting to watch. And, and so as people are starting to become more entrepreneurial, they're taking ownership of their ideas. And we as a management team have to embrace that. We have to be comfortable being uncomfortable with some of these ideas and thinking, well, wait a minute, that may not work. No, it might work. You just may not have the perspective that they have that would make it work. Yeah, I think that's the biggest shift that I've noticed. I mean, culture is a big thing and with, with amongst our team, but it's open and willing to hear their ideas mm -hmm. and validate them, right? Appreciating uh, them. Right, yes. so much. And I think that is something that we haven't really talked about, but the last five years, it's culture, 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 right? Um, and I don't want to take it lightly because you can talk about culture, but do you really live your culture? Mm -hmm. So, we, so mm -hmm. we, we had to uh, uh, take some of our own medicine. Uh, <laughs> a few years back, we decided that we were talking about our own ownership transition. And so Prairie Capital Advisors became an employee-owned company, and we actually put ESOPs together for other people. So we're a 52-person firm that has embraced employee ownership. The reason behind it was culture. Um, we looked at it and said, we understand the power of this. Can we harness that power for a generational transfer? I'm not going anywhere right now, but in the future, I will. And when I do that, we, you know, we start sharing financial yeah. information. We start. We talk about sharing value drivers, what drives the firm from a, from a perspective of what you and I and, 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 and you use to run a business is probably six or seven different value drivers that you have on a front and back of a piece of paper that really tell you how successful you're being that given month or not. <laughs> and to teach your employee base at a certain level and above the details of that, but teach everyone what drives the business and have monthly meetings, quarterly meetings that speak to exactly where this business is headed so there are no surprises. If you're having a good year, everyone knows about it. If you're having a soft year, everyone knows about it. And it really helps in the communication of managing the business, yeah. I think. Well, as long as there's strong psychology in the, in, among the people, in other words, they understand that a, a down cycle in the business does not mean a down cycle in their self-esteem, their, their self-worth, uh, if they've made a mistake. Or the future. That, that, that's exactly right. 
And so we, we talk often about your inner culture. So the innerpreneur, uh, the person inside of you that has uh, these innovative ideas, um, is this person prepared psychologically, emotionally, to handle the shift in business. Mm -hmm. So I met this week with a, a company that's a 135-year-old uh, company in Elk Grove Village. Craft, uh, Crafts Technology is the name of the company. And uh, uh, fascinating how they brought in from Boston a leader, Jeff Taylor, who is um, uh, very entrepreneurial. So everything he's doing now with this very old company is as if it started yesterday. Mm -hmm. So their biggest client is Boeing. And so here they are saying to Boeing, listen, we can handle anything you need. And Boeing is saying, wow, you guys, for a 135-year-old company, you're really doing it. And, and so that, that kind of energy, that kind of uh, uh, conviction that is coming from in, inside the people is what's making it work. This is a complete aside, but they're our client. And I was with their controller <laughs> last week. Were you really? <laughs> That's not it's an aside. That was funny. And you guys, you guys are the kings of helping companies through this kind of transition from a succession standpoint and everything else. So you have a really good handle on this, and you've seen it firsthand. I mean, the markets, I can't say it enough, the market's changing so fast. Yeah that companies that are around a long time today better become innovative, better empower mm -hmm. their people to be entrepreneurial. Mm -hmm. And when you have, like we have as a manufacturing company, a completely different, different types of people. You have wonderful people that work in our plant every day. You have wonderful people that are in the marketing and sales. Trying to get them to make that psychological shift mm -hmm. altogether mm -hmm. as a team is a challenge. Yes. And when you start to see it, it's very exciting. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of um, Bob Chapman. Oh, sure. Barry yeah, Waymiller. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. You're, yeah. you're familiar. Right, right. And yeah. We're, I mean, he's a, he's a, uh, a guy I respect a lot for what he's done mm -hmm. and what he's done at Barry Waymiller. And much of what we're talking about is consistent with what he's done. Yeah. That's awesome. And, and it's interesting that Jeff Taylor's company, uh, this is so wonderful. I love it. Like, what a great, great <laughs> question. But Jeff, it, Jeff brings his entire team over to our building so that they can get away from their offices and yep. they do their strategic planning sessions yep. in our boardroom, in mm -hmm. our classrooms. Mm -hmm. And so I get to see that evolution. And when they walk out of those meetings, they're so excited. <laughs> and I, I mean, it, it's great. And, and when you think of a, a company that's a, a, a very precision manufacturing company that does what they do and how entrepreneur thinking has generated so much value for their for their yep. employees as as the stockholders. Mm -hmm. You did all that? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm impressed. No, no. Come on, take some credit. Uh, yeah, <laughs> no, I, but, but they are an employee-owned business. Yes, they sure are. And <laughs> sure. we help and with that transaction. So, it's working. But it, but it is. You know, you're 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 exact. Both of you are right. I mean, the challenge is today. If you're not moving quickly and have a plan B at all times. Yes. What happens yes. if? Mm -hmm. And, and I think even when you're starting out the business, that never changes. What happens if I, you know, it's be careful what you wish for, you may get it. Right. The, that issue where you're growing so fast, you have to add people, or you're, you're failing and you're not, you need to understand whether I'm going down the wrong path and have to veer off, or whether I truly just need to work a little harder at it. So, I, right. I, so many things are coming to my mind. Um, one is when there's this sense of like, I'm, I'm failing or it's not working. I wonder if that doesn't come from some sense of complacency, but I know that John's going to say, but there's a deeper root to complacency. <laughs> Sorry. Um, and, and there's a reason, yes. um, whether it's fear or, you know, uh, uh, take, 
maybe risk averse, I, I don't know. But that complacency, that's what I see with, with companies. Look, I'm a chamber of commerce. I, I will say there are chambers that are very complacent, right? Mm -hmm. The Chamber of Commerce, we have to be nimble. We have to be innovative. We have to be mm -hmm. relevant. We have to be thinking what's in the next two years, three years, five mm -hmm. years. Otherwise, we're going to be history. Mm -hmm. So complacency, I'd, I'd like to talk about that word. Complacency, for me, I don't think has ever been a huge issue. I think some of the challenges that you're going down the wrong path uh, might be someone that you really believed in failed you, or maybe you failed in the evaluation of those people as they were brought on board. And, and again, I'm going back to people again, but the, 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 some of the failures that I've seen, and I haven't, knock on wood, not very many of them, but I've had one or two over the years that I would like to do a, a do-over do mm -hmm. if I could, because I've, mm -hmm. you invested time and energy and went down a path and thinking that that was the that was going to be a, an answer to your to your problem, and it didn't work out yeah. that way. I, I think from the perspective, and then then we got to get the right answer no, here no. from John. Yeah. <laughs> I think from the because John's psychoanalyzing both of us. I know. We're going to be on his couch this afternoon. I think from the perspective of a longer company, standing company, um, when you're heading down and and you've had success. Uh, all the employees feel that success and, and things are happening and just really cranking really well. And the market's changing and you don't necessarily realize that the market's changing. It's very easy to have everybody be complacent and say, well, but look, this is what's been success. Until everybody starts realizing that the market's changing as fast as it is mm -hmm. and that, oh my God, you know, what we've done yesterday doesn't necessarily breed success for the future and they really understand it completely yeah. throughout the organization is when that complacency goes away and people start becoming real entrepreneurial. Yeah. It goes away when you ask what's next. Mm -hmm. and, and if you weave into your conversation with companies that you support in some way, if you're a customer or you're a, you're a shareholder, and you celebrate where they are, uh, especially if they're doing well. They're, mm -hmm. they're profitable, they have a, a good uh, relationship with their employees, with their customers, with their shareholders, and the like. But to ask them what's next is stimulating to their brain. Mm -hmm. They go like, well, I, yeah, I, I haven't even announced this yet, but here it is. Mm -hmm. And what I, I, I haven't found yet an entrepreneur who doesn't have a what, what's next answer. Mm -hmm. I simply, do you agree? agree. I, mean, I agree. It, it's remarkable, mm -hmm. and it, unless you ask, so what we encourage people to do is take, some, take an entrepreneur, if you have one next door or across the street, wherever it is, take an entrepreneur to coffee at Starbucks and just say, you know, how's it going? What's, what's next on the horizon? And, and how, can I, how can I support you, not help? They don't need help, they need support. Mm -hmm. Help is a four-letter word in this case. Mm -hmm. uh, but they, they love support. And can I open a door for you? Can I give you a lead? Can I introduce you to someone? And, and uh, but. All of that is based on what's next, yeah. that next meeting with someone, that next person you're, you're going to meet. Uh, Nikki uh, 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 met just recently a, 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 uh, the Entrepreneur of the Year from Enclave, Eric Broughton, who mm -hmm. happens to live here in Naperville. In, uh, Naperville. Great guy. Mm -hmm. Just sold his company to Expedia. Uh, and uh, so, but here, so even an introduction like that began the question, what's next? Yes. What's next? Yeah. And does he love Nikki? Does he love the chamber? <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, you're Thanks, great. John. <laughs> well, you're, you're fantastic. So, well, thank you, sir. <laughs> Your complacency question, though, is, is, is one that I think if people have good operating models, 
they're always asking and testing themselves yeah. as to whether that operating model is still as good as they think it is. Yes. And so it's hard to become complacent if you're doing a constant self-evaluation on the business. And that, that's the key thing because if you can assure yourself that the operating model is good, you can go through recessions, you can go through little hiccups in your industry or, or through any government regulation. The operating model is good, that operating model serves not only today, but when you go to sell that mm -hmm. business down the road. So can, can I just add one thing? Sure. I know you've got another question you want to get to, but um, when you talk about complacency, it starts, I think, well, all of us having to challenge ourselves, mm -hmm. and we're setting that example. Um, you talked about mentor mm -hmm. earlier, and I think that's a really important term for especially the younger generation coming in. We set up a next generation advisory board. Hmm. And the goal of that was to, first of all, give 20 and 30-something very high-achieving cross-functional professionals mm -hmm. the experience of what it is to be on a board. Complete experience, full disclosure, everything to be on a board. Mm -hmm. But more importantly, what they did was they're reverse mentoring us. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Because we have blinders on now at this age, and things are changing so fast, they're challenging complacency. And they're giving us insights into the young, younger minds and what they're thinking about and what's important to them in the future. It's a great idea. That's, that's so valuable. In the chamber, yes. we have something called Legacy Circle. Half mm -hmm. of the members are under 40, half are over 40. And it's sort of like a mastermind group, but mm -hmm. for, for you know, the, both generations. And to your point, it's like the older generation is learning because they see things totally. so much differently and vice versa. You know, the wisdom that comes from, from um, our, our seasoned members. So it's, it's pretty great. So as we wrap up, um, I'd love to ask each one of you, you know, when you hear the word entrepreneur, maybe even when I reached out to you to ask you to participate, what came to mind? I know that wasn't one of the pre-staged pre questions, but um, <laughs> the conversation's been so fascinating. I'd just love to know what you think. I think we, we have to take away the mythology of the entrepreneur and talk honestly about it. I'm watching with keen interest, based on the, this specialization of our, our uh, mission, uh, people who have been gamifying entrepreneurship. They've had mm. incubators filled with foosball tables mm. and beer served at five o'clock and mm -hmm. lots of entertainment, 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 and people running around all day long acting like they're producing stuff and they're not. Mm -hmm. And then their businesses fail and they wonder why. Um, the logic path is so, is so clear. But what, what, what has happened is Silicon Valley by default mythologized what it means to be an entrepreneur. And so if we get back to the roots of an entrepreneur works really hard, mm -hmm. doesn't sleep really well, doesn't take very many vacations, uh, but is really living a dream, living, mm -hmm. living a, a, a plan that she or he has uh, created as, yeah, sure. as a plan. And, uh, but just to demythologize if, uh, would be a good great, thing. Great, Ken? You know, I worked for a very large uh, investment banking firm named Merrill Lynch for a number of years, and I learned an awful lot. It was a great learning experience. But I think for me, to, when, it, when the word entrepreneur comes up, it's for me, it's all about passion. Mm. Um, so I just love what I'm doing. The people that work in our organization love meeting with the business owners and love being able to provide solutions to problems. And when you get people that join you on that journey, with the same thought process. And now as I uh, become more seasoned, uh, I sit in these meetings and I'm so proud of my younger people 
because they've picked up on that passion. And it really is something that if you can, it's passion is contagious. Mm -hmm. And if you can have that passion going in and maintain it over time, it's tough because there are bad times along the way. Uh, but if you can maintain that passion, I think that's, for me, always been the key to entrepreneurship. Mark? Uh, thank you. I, I think um, my first reaction, frankly, when I got the, the request and email was, first of all, I'm flattered to be here and speaking about this. But secondly, I don't necessarily consider myself a true entrepreneur compared to others only because I'm a, in a family business and I was fortunate enough to, to, uh, to start running the business. And uh, it's 85 years old, 86 years old. But then I, what I realized as I thought more about it is, again, businesses are having to reinvent themselves. And be careful what you wish for, because <laughs> I've always been envious of the folks that have been entrepreneurs and started their own businesses. That's what's happening today with businesses that exist. They're, they're having to reinvent themselves. And so, yes, I am a little more entrepreneurial than I think. You are an entrepreneur. <laughs> thank you. Accept it. Thank you. I'm there. And on that note, I thank you all so much oh, for a fascinating conversation. We may have to continue this conversation. You're welcome. Thank you for joining us for Inside the Chamber. We hope you found the information in today's program valuable. Please join us again for our monthly programs. And in the meantime, remember, when you're looking for a service or somewhere to shop or dine, Think Chamber and visit Naperville.net to support the Chamber of Commerce and our business community. Inside the Chamber is brought to you by presenting sponsor, Naperville Bank and Trust.